This is Kona Bible Church. Thanks for listening. We pray that you will experience God's blessing as you consider Pastor Brian's latest message from his series, Wrestling with God, from the book of Genesis. Well, here we are in this series in Genesis. We're getting kind of toward the end. We're in chapter 41 out of 50. And this story is probably familiar to many of you, uh, but we'd like to offer you a few thoughts for you to consider this morning. We've titled this series in Genesis called Wrestling with God because God invites his people to wrestle with him. That's a, a beautiful and wonderfully freeing thought to imagine that the things that we read in scripture, we actually get an opportunity to, to kick those things around, to wrestle them, with them. In fact, today, this morning, and every Sunday that you come into church, I offer something for you to wrestle with. I don't accept, expect you to just buy it hook, line, and sinker. No, I expect you to consider it, to talk with your family members, your friends, and, and to go, is he really serious about some of the things that he says up there? And then hopefully you go back to Scripture and see that it's not just me saying it, but that it is God saying these things that we need to wrestle with him. Uh, ultimately, we have to ask this question, will you trust his word? And uh, that is the great question for all of us at all times. And so today, what I would like to, uh, to kind of go through is, is once again one of these themes that continues to, to pop up. We've got two major themes that have been kind of just kind of resurfacing throughout Genesis. One of them is this idea of the power of the promise. The power of the promise and all that it is doing in order to conform us into the image of who Jesus is. Uh, but there is also this idea of us being touched by corruption. And, and Genesis is, is an excellent introduction into wrestling with God based on the corruption that we get touched by. Now, in certain uh, religious settings, you might, you might refer to that corruption as sin. Well, we're living in a post-Christian world, and I don't think people, as soon as you say the word sin, this is what happens to people's eyes. It just glazes over. But when you use the word corruption, people understand exactly uh, what that is because they see corruption everywhere. And if they're brave enough, they even see it in the mirror. That's why we take time to confess our sins, our corruption each week. Well, one of the, one of the great difficulties that we struggle with as, as people of faith, engaging with people not of faith, is to really try to walk through this tension of how does, how does a, a, a all-powerful God and a loving God allow calamity to, to strike? And what we have been saying in here is what we need to, to reconsider so that we have an appropriate understanding of God's worldview. One of the things is that he allows corruption to take its effect. He has to. He has to allow corruption to take its effect. Why? Because it exposes the results of our will apart from God's will. When Adam and Eve chose to eat that fruit, they took their will and elevated it above God's will. And, and well, that leads to corruption and to death. The, the most, uh, most miraculous thing that I think that takes place in Genesis is that Adam and Eve didn't fall over dead immediately. Oh, that was the punishment for eating the fruit, that they would surely die. But God in his grace allowed them to experience life and said, 
despite you uh, uh, asserting your will over mine, I'm going to make you a promise. And this begins this great story of the power of the promise to overcome our will. That demonstrates that over and over and over again. And ultimately, it invites us to repent and to trust him even more. Because he's not interested in just robots. He wants to be in relationship with you. It's a beautiful thing. That might be an amen-worthy thing. He wants to be in relationship with you. And so as we see this, yeah, exactly, we have this power of the promise. And what does that promise consist of? First of all, we see even before corruption came into the world, he promised us to go into the chaos, to bring order, purpose, and life everywhere we went. He, he charged us with that. And he promised, I'll be with you. I will provide and protect you as you go into the chaos to bring order, purpose, and life. Even as you have co- compounded the chaos by corrupting it. And you think of all the different ways that the chaos has been corrupted. We see the biological corruptions with diseases. We see the physical landscape corruptions with thorns and thistles, having to, having to bring order and purpose through the sweat of our brow. Uh, we see all different types of uh, tornadoes and, and, and physical things that happen. Well, those aren't, those aren't things that God does. God is a God who brings life. And so when we see those things, we see those as the, the byproduct of corruption, if we don't understand that, then we get, in, we get painted into a corner when we say, oh, well, God did this. No, there are times where God says in Scripture that he did this. In fact, he's saying that he's going to bring the famine on the world. But the reality is he's allowing that famine a natural byproduct of our corruption. The famine wouldn't happen had it not been for us first corrupting the world and corrupting nature. And so what we see is a God who's able to allow corruption to play out in order that we experience the exposure of our will. We need to be able to just pour this into our worldview so that as we engage with people who are experiencing corruption, and it happens over and over, we are all going to face the ultimate corruption of death. And the means by which we get there are also corrupted. Sometimes it's by the hands of one another. Sometimes it's by biological means, and sometimes it's by natural disasters that take place. But regardless, it is always, the root of it is because of our corrupted will. So God is coming along and he's saying, no, wait a minute, I am not going to allow corruption to to be the final story. I'm going to promise to bring new life out of that corruption, I'm going to recreate, I'm going to resurrect, I'm going to bring you life so that you can understand and and see this. Well, today, in in today's passage, we see all these things happening. One of the beautiful things that God does is that he reveals corruption in order to do what? Preserve life. That's one of the things that he's doing, right? So he announces to Pharaoh this dream that, hey, famine is coming. I'm going to allow this famine to, to take place, and I'm going to do it, but, and it's going to cause all kinds of problems. But the reason I'm going to reveal it to you is so that you can 
preserve life. And so he gives this opportunity for Pharaoh to have a dream and to have the dream interpreted. And what does Joseph do? What, is, what, what does God do through Joseph? This is beautifully. He gifts Joseph the ability. Joseph says, I can't do, I can't interpret dreams on my own. No, but what does God do? He gives the gift of interpretation to Joseph. We see what follows is that he also gives the gift of administration to Joseph, which he has been acting out already. I don't know if you picked up, but I kind of emphasized the fact that Joseph was how old when he took over Egypt? 30. 30. 30. Let's just imagine for a moment, shall we, here in America, if a 30-year-old, which can't even happen, you've got to be 35 in order to run for president, if a 30-year-old started to campaign in America and said, you know what, I've been gifted to bring order, purpose, and life to your country, here I am. What do you think? 30-year-old, would you, would you have confidence in this young man? Wow. Pretty remarkable. But we see, we, the reader, have seen a pattern of his great administration throughout the book. Even his father Jacob recognized this in him in all likelihood, having him uh, oversee his brothers. And then he gets uh, over to Potiphar's household, and Potiphar uh, recognizes very quickly And at an even younger age, remember Joseph was 17 when he came to Potiphar's house. And over the course of a couple of years, Potiphar transfers all the authority of his house over to Joseph. Even after the unfair allegations uh, launched toward him that ended in Joseph's imprisonment, the, the captain of the prison guard looks at Joseph and sees, well, he's got a gift of administration. And I'm going to turn over to him the entire operation of the prison. You see, Joseph has been trained, he's been gifted by God to interpret dreams and to administer uh, in any situation that he has been given. But these are gifts from God. And why does God give 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 us gifts? To preserve life, always. When you think about this story, you see this is a story that is being communicated to two groups of people, two faith communities. The faith community of Israel, that while this is being written, remember Genesis is the book of illustrations. It's a book that's written to a group of people 400 years later who are in captivity in Egypt. They have not experienced their freedom, and yet God is saying, here's the stories that you need to know as you go in and become a nation and start to take over the land of the the promised land. These are the stories that you need to have so that you know that there is indeed a God who is able to back up his promises. Promises of being with us to provide and protect us and to be with us everywhere we go. Promises to see the oppressed and to lift up the oppressed and to take down the oppressor. You see this throughout Genesis in the lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now Joseph. These are stories for that faith community to have hope that though they are in oppression, in slavery in Egypt, that God can raise them up and make them into a mighty nation. That he is going to, uh, he's going to at times reveal corruption, but the purpose would be to preserve life. Well, you might ask, well, how does God reveal corruption to the nation of Israel? Well, this is where Jesus would come along and say, move beyond the physical. 
There's always a spiritual principle in place when we see the physical. Look for the spiritual. What, how does God reveal corruption? Well, he reveals it in the law. Law after law after law exposes the corrupt heart of humanity. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not are all indications revealing that we have a problem, that we have a corrupt heart that needs to be dealt with. And yet, is God up there revealing these rules so just because he's a cosmic killjoy? <laughs> don't do this! Don't, don't, uh, don't take somebody else's life. That would be really fun, but I don't want you to have fun taking... No, he's not up there doing that. He's giving us these laws because he wants us to experience life. Right? So he, he reveals this corrupt character of our heart in order that we might be able to experience life. Jesus does the same thing. He takes it a step further because he points out, and you see this in the life of Paul, he points to the law and he goes, the law is perfect and pure and everything, but corrupt humans cannot live according to the law. No, the law was designed to do what? To expose our corrupt hearts and our inability to be able to follow the law. And so the faith community of the church has been been revealed to this. So that we might be able to have this knowledge of going, wait a minute, God has revealed this in order to experience life. If that's the case, maybe we've got some good news to take outside those doors to our family, our friends, our neighbors, and our coworkers. Because God's not up there just saying, tisk tisk. No, he's actually inviting a relationship of life with us. That's his whole purpose. And so what does he do? He gives gifts to us. We all have a different set of gifts. In fact, when you go through the New Testament, it's kind of hard to narrow down, well, is there a specific set or is he just giving gifts constantly to us? You know, I don't think they had the gift of technology back in the day, but it is one that we need today. You see, there's all kinds of different gifts, gifts. Can you imagine a church without music and the gifts and talents of, of musicians? No, it wouldn't be the same. Can you come in, imagine coming in here and listening to me for 20 minutes and then leaving? No, the music it prepares the heart to receive the word. And so we need these giftings in order to be able to what? Preserve life. And we all have these different gifts. It's the spirit has been poured out. The final thing, the promise is that God gives us a choice to preserve life. You know, one of the most remarkable things in this passage is that Pharaoh listens and he chooses to follow. I find that quite remarkable because when the gospel is presented today, there are a lot of closed ears of people who instead of embracing the, the awareness of corruption and the remedy for it, they, they put their hand up and say, I don't want anything to do with somebody who is pointing out my flaws. I don't want anybody, any, anything to do with somebody who is pointing out the very corruption that I live and walk with because there's nothing wrong with the man in the mirror. And so we close our eyes and we turn down the opportunity 
to follow and to enjoy preserved life. There are a lot of unpopular things that this word of God talks about that we need to wrestle with in our culture. But when we come back to the basic fact that God is pointing us in a direction to preserve life, then I wonder how many of us would would then look a little bit deeper and go, well, wait a minute, if I, if I want to experience life, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be just looking at anything I want to on the computer. Maybe I shouldn't just be uh, typing anything I want on the computer. Maybe I shouldn't just uh, uh, have an unbridled tongue in the company of my fellow man and woman. No, you see, the beautiful thing about this story is that Pharaoh, who's not even part of the family of God, sees the wisdom of Joseph and says, I want life for myself and for my people. Today, you have an opportunity to come to the table, an opportunity to come and and make that choice once again. Are you going to come and choose life? That's the invitation in front of you. Choose life. Father, thank you so much for your word for the power of your promise that overcomes so much corruption, even the corruption of our own hearts. Father, will you be faithful to us today that as we make that choice to come to the table and to receive that forgiveness, that you will be faithful to bring new life to us and through us, that you will raise us back to life and raise relationships around us back to life because we have received forgiveness and we now have the opportunity to dispense it to others. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.